Hello dear listener, a very warm welcome to you from wherever you're listening from. Coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi, this is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. The program is New Life and I am your presenter, Monica Kamokwa. My dear listener, thank you for joining us today. And Lydia Chieng will be starting us off in the Family Life segment with the topic, Marriage Tune-Up. Then in the Bible segment, Ian Mose will be joining us to talk about the love of money. But before we get to that, let's first get the song, What a Friend, by Kibera Youth Choir. Enjoy. Oh 
Dear listener, that was Water Friend by Kibera Youth Choir. You're listening to the new live program on Adventist World Radio, The Voice of Hope. At this point, Lydia Aching joins us with more on Marriage Tune-Up. Stay tuned and be on the know. Listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. I'm your presenter, Lydia Aching. Today we'll talk about marriage tune-up. To keep a marriage running along fine, you need to do what it takes to maintain it. Sometimes marriages, just like automobiles, need tune-ups. Psychologist Michael Lace writes, Couples generally enter marriage with engines raving, but sooner or later find their relationship idling. The thrill is gone. Arguments easily become overheated and the pressure of jobs, children, and a mortgage is on. What causes this once smooth-running machine to knock and sputter? That's a good question to consider, so let's do just that. The biggest culprits are dangerous patterns of thinking that wear your marriage down and lead to big blowouts. When conflicts become habitual, it's not surprising that you begin to think negatively far more often than you consider your marriage's positive aspects. Here are a few of the warning lights. Any of these look familiar? Feeling bored with your spouse, focusing on differences, fixating on a fantasy, avoiding your mate, pursuing individual goals, reaching the boiling point. Look under the hood. If recognizing the warning signals has you gripping the will, don't panic. 
These are normal responses to the challenges of everyday marriage. The warning lights simply tell you when to check things out. Here are eight ways to get your marriage the tune-up it needs. 1. Get intentional. Create a positive experience for you and your spouse on purpose. Spend money on a great date night or a surprise for your mate. Then do it again in a few weeks. 2. Study your spouse. What kind of things does he or she get excited about? What are your mate's dreams? What does your spouse think would make his or her life more fulfilling? One way to make your partner feel appreciated is to express joy as you help make your spouse's life more satisfying. 3. Sort through the negatives. Which problems are negligible? Things you can live with and which ones are important and must be resolved. As you sort them out, you may be surprised at how few biggies there really are. Also, as you tackle one or two of the problems together, the next one that comes along won't seem so insurmountable. 4. Set mutual goals. Offset the tendency to focus on yourself by finding one or more areas that you can purposefully work on together. We recently agreed to work toward a financial goal of spending less for the next 12 months so we can pay off a debt. Agreeing to achieve this goal together turned a sore point into a connecting experience. 5. Don't let feelings fester. Find the time and energy to resolve disagreements even if it requires a late nighter. Long-term resentments can use up more energy than a few hours of you wrestling through a problem. 6. Focus on reality. Guess what? The grass is browner on the other side of the fence, instead of greener as the old saying tries to tell us. The perfect spouse doesn't exist anywhere, so look for what you love and appreciate about the one you've chosen. 7. Be a servant. This is how Christ won over the multitudes, so make your mate the target of some good deeds this week. Serving your spouse will actually make you feel better. 8. Seek excellence. Work as hard to maintain your marriage as you do to advance your career or to excel in raising your children. What areas need extra attention? How will you know if you've met your goals? Generate new energy and creativity and apply them to your marriage. Don't let the challenges of the road throw you off track. A positive relationship is a destination worth pursuing together. Does your marriage need a tune-up? A good place to start is to pray for God to work on your own heart. Pray as the psalmist said, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting." And then pray for your spouse. Pray that God will open his or her eyes to see the need to partner with you in this marital tuning up process. Pray that God will help you to approach your spouse on this subject in a healthy, productive way and give you both the strength and fortitude to do what needs to be done. For the benefit of the covenant you entered into when you married, don't stall or put it off any longer. Today can be a new beginning for your marital relationship. This material was provided courtesy of Marriage Missions International. Until next time, God bless you.
For those of you who are just joining us, this is the new live program with me, Monica Kamokwa, your host. Coming to you live from the Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Always a pleasure to have you with us. You haven't missed a lot. If you wish to drop comments, suggestions, or questions, do so through the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Or email us at awrnairobi at eku.adventist.org. Now that that is off the way, here is a song, Joe Nikwenye Makambi by Kibera Youth Choir. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Don't change the channel. My dear listener, thanks for choosing our station. We are because you are. And now, please join me as I welcome Ian Muse for the Bible segment. He will be telling us more on the love of money. Be blessed. 
Greetings dear listener and welcome to our study today. The topic of our study is the love of money. I am presenter Ian Muse. We shall base our study on the book of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 which says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I could write out a long list of individual temptations but I've chosen to include money specifically because next to pride it's the big one. But the money I'm speaking about isn't so much about dollar bills as it is about the trap of materialism and power. I believe Christians should work hard, earning and saving and giving as much as they can. Yet there is a constant danger that money could become our god. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 New King James version. I've seen people make such foolish choices like gambling away their savings because they want to get rich quick. They keep yanking the slot machine lever because the devil tells them that maybe if they drop in just one more quarter they'll hit it big. Not to mention that they are throwing money away when it could be used for saving souls. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Serving God and your desire for money is impossible. Money is a power, and not all power is bad. Money can be a power to do good or evil, a double-edged sword. We pray in our churches that the Lord will bless our needs financially, but we don't want to become slaves to love in money. If your heart is with your money, it can't be with God. God has asked us to be prepared to leave our full nets, tax booth, and houses filled with possessions without looking back. Remember Lot's wife. Luke chapter 17 verse 32. Few speed records are broken when people run from temptation. Generally, they crawl away from temptation, hoping it catches up with them. Sometimes temptation comes through a door we deliberately leave open. Suppose that you are accidentally spilled kerosene all over your clothes and somebody nearby lit a match. Where would you go? As far away as you could and as fast as possible. That should be the attitude of a Christian toward temptation. Paul said, "Flee fornication and flee from idolatry." 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18 and chapter 10 verse 14. So flee from sin and don't leave a forwarding address. Remember this, when you run from temptation, you head toward God. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. James chapter 4 verse 7. When you know something is sinful, don't engage or banter with the devil because he is the master of rationalization. That's how Eve fell. It breaks my heart when Christians try to justify their sins. There is no limit to the arguments with which the devil can supply you. As soon as you know something is wrong, flee. The bravest man runs from temptation. The fool flirts with it. You also don't want to wait until you get so old that all those desires of youth fade away and you deceive yourself into thinking you have gained the victory and desire fails for man goes to his eternal home ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 5 new king james version 
Your heart may still be corrupt. Flee now, actively. You must commit yourself to God while you can still experience His renovating grace in your life. Jesus' power is sufficient even for our hot-blooded youth. Remember when Joseph was tempted, he fled from Potiphar's wife. Genesis chapter 39 verse 12. A common reason Christians easily fall into temptation is the reasoning everybody is doing it. So, it must be okay. That's the devil's favorite. Lame in logic. It's also why Peter denied Jesus. Just a few hours before betraying Jesus, Peter vowed, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Matthew chapter 26 verse 35, New King James Version. And when Peter made the statement surrounded by his friends, he was very sincere. But when Jesus was taken into the judgment hall, it was no longer popular to be with Christ. Peter gathered with Christ's mockers around a campfire, and the longer he stayed, the easier it was to act and talk like Christ's enemies. By letting the crowd measure our values, we become like the crowd. And the Bible says the crowd is usually wrong. Enter ye in at that street gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in their heart. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 Christians have to think for themselves. They must resist peer pressure. They have to be different. If a billion people believe a lie, it's still a lie. In the end times, there's going to be two very religious groups, one with the mark of the beast, the other with the seal of God. The former group will be the larger. Just because a large group of people is being religious, it doesn't mean it's God's group. Generally, the Bible's great men and women are the ones standing for right when everyone else is bowing down. Also keep in mind another reason to not follow the crowd is because the crowd is watching. While you don't want to follow the crowd, you should live a life the crowd can look at. People are more impressed and many have been converted when they have seen Christians maintain their faith under pressure. One weak compromising act might spoil an entire lifetime of witness. Most people hate to be idle because God created us for activity. You've heard the expression, idleness is the devil's workshop. That's not a direct Bible quote, but Ezekiel 16 verse 49 to 50 comes close. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. The scene of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't simply perversion and sexual immorality. The valley of Sodom was lush with vegetation and abundant with food. Life was easy for her inhabitants. Lot moved there because it offered him a life of leisure. But when a person doesn't have anything to do, chances are the devil will help the carnal heart to concoct something evil. Idleness is the parent of all vice. Sin begins in the human mind, which is designed to concentrate mainly on one thing at a time. If we stay busy, especially focused on doing something good like witnessing or helping the poor, we don't have time to think about evil. E.G. White said, Strength to resist evil is the best gained through aggressive service. One of the ways to stay out of trouble is to be aggressively involved in serving Jesus. After the fall, when God told Adam, 
in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread it was intended to be a blessing for man to stay busy and out of trouble genesis chapter 3 verse 19 but an idle person tempts the devil to tempt him finally let us love god with all our hearts and soul and mind remember that we shall not go with money to the new world god bless you as you meditate upon these words amen I was your presenter Ian Musa and have a good time. Thank you for staying tuned throughout the show. It is always a pleasure to have you with us. If you have any feedback about the show, you can get in touch through the producer Adventist World Radio PO Box 42276 code 00100 Nairobi Kenya or email us at awrnairobi@eku.adventist.org That brings us to the end of the show today. I have been your host Monica Kamokwa and until we meet again right here God bless you abundantly.